My name is Joe Hawkins, and this is the History of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints 50 Objects Podcast. Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of History of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 50 Objects Podcast. It's been a while since we last got a show out, so let's dive right in. This past week, my wife and I spent a few days at Disney World. It was my first time in the park, and my wife and I justified not taking the kids by saying this was an opportunity to scout everything out. We had a fantastic time, and I really enjoyed seeing how far along Disney has come in terms of the kinds of special effects they offer on their rides. For example, the Avatar portion of the Animal Kingdom Park was just amazing. However, regardless of how cool and entertaining the rides are getting, I always want to take at least one lap on the It's a Small World ride. That is the oldest ride that Disney offers, and when it was first introduced, it was groundbreaking. In case you aren't familiar with its history, let's talk about it real quick. The It's a Small World ride opened for the first time in 1964, and it premiered at the greatest world fair the world has ever known. Now, speaking of American history, we all know just how monumental the 1960s were. JFK would be elected as the youngest president of the United States, His short-term in office would highlight some of the themes of the 60s. The beginning of the Cold War with Russia, climaxing with the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. The civil rights rallies that would erupt across America with Martin Luther King leading a march through Washington, D.C. and ending at the Lincoln Monument, where he'd deliver his famous I Have a Dream speech. Both Martin Luther King and JFK would be assassinated within the next five years. Now, also at this time, the United States was just jumping off the cliff into the crisis in Vietnam. Nobody at this point in America could see the bottom or would know that this would last through three U.S. presidents and end with the death of thousands of young Americans. But behind the scenes of all these huge historical events was a theme that America was on the verge of a major technological revolution. Americans were fascinated with advances in phone technologies, televisions, automobiles, the space program with its endeavors to put a man on the moon, and even those huge boxes called computers. Today, when companies like Apple want to release a new product, they can virtually invite everyone in the world who can hop online and watch the live event from the comforts of their homes. However, in the 60s, this obviously wasn't possible. So, in 1964, the state of New York decided to put on a World's Fair. A World's Fair had just taken place a few years before in Seattle, but New York was determined to make theirs the biggest the world had ever seen, and they'd pull it off. Many countries around the globe were invited to participate, along with many major corporations. Land was contracted in Flushing Meadows Park in Queens, New York, and by the time planning was finalized, over 80 countries offered to participate along with 45 major corporations. Now, when you think of a fair, you probably think of a bunch of booths with a Ferris wheel and the cotton candy at a local park. But to comprehend just how grandiose the New York World's Fair was, you have to understand the scope. This fair covered over 646 acres, and the participants didn't have booths but pavilions, which were huge presentations covering acres of land. At the center of the fair, New York would build the now-famous Unisphere, 
a giant steel replica of the globe. And if you've seen the movie Men in Black, at the end of the movie, the alien spaceship crashes through the globe. Remember that? Yeah, it was built for the fair and it still stands to this day. So was the fair well attended? You bet. The fair would open for six months and saw just under 52 million people attend and wander through its pavilions. 52 million. I would have loved to have attended this fair. Let's talk through some of the major things that you could have seen walking through these pavilions. You may have wanted to start at the U.S. Pavilion. There you could have taken a 15-minute ride through a filmed presentation of American history. It ended with a dedication to JFK who broke ground on this pavilion for the fair just before heading off to Texas where he'd be assassinated. The Space Park Pavilion would have been amazing. It was sponsored by NASA and the Department of Defense. That pavilion had a full-scale rocket and a number of capsules that had manned men in space. I probably would have spent like two or three days there. There were a number of other amazing pavilions. The General Motors Pavilion attempted to show people what the world might look like in the near future. They built out 3D models of flying cars and elaborate homes, and Americans were so interested in the future that over 26 million people would take this ride and see GM's vision of the future. The pavilion for IBM was less famous. Who wanted to learn about computers and explore the world of mathematics? Like that would play a role in our future. Moving on here, there was a pavilion put on by the Ford Motor Company who were looking to introduce a new car called the Mustang. You could have even taken the car on a ride around dinosaurs. Should we be surprised that the Ford Mustang became such a hit? Some companies and their ideas, however, just never really took off, like the pavilion showing how rocket packs were in the not-too-distant future. We're still waiting on those. But of all these rides, by far the most famous was created by Disney and presented by Pepsi. It was the It's a Small World ride, now found in Disneyland and replicated in Disney World, which I rode last week. People attending the fair were simply amazed at the way the audio animatronics presented children from all around the globe. Millions and millions of people would ride this ride again and again. Now, aside from countries and corporations presenting at these pavilions, you also had churches. For example, the Catholic Church decided to one-up everybody, and they actually flew in the Pieta, I'm sure I just ruined that pronunciation, my wife will kill me, along with a lot of other historical artwork. Can you imagine seeing that on display at a fair? So, this was really an amazing presentation of the world. So, let's imagine you saved up the money. You packed up your kids, you traveled to New York to take on the fair for a couple of weeks. After buying your tickets, collecting your map, and circling the Disney pavilions for your kids, you entered through the gates. At that point, if you looked to the side, you'd see your first pavilion. Operators of the World Fair would call this pavilion the most beautifully structured of any at the New York's World Fair. This pavilion had an almost life-size replica of what looked to be like a beautiful temple set among a pristine park. So what was this pavilion at the world's biggest fair? Today's object is the Mormon Pavilion at the New York World's Fair. So just how did the church land this gigantic pavilion in the New York World's Fair? In 1961, when New York was laying down plans for this fair and reaching out to potential sponsors, The church was also looking for a way to become more integrated into mainstream American culture. The church had just grown to over 2 million members, 
and we're seeing some of the largest growth percentages that we'll see throughout its history. But how could they make a splash on the American stage? At this point, they heard about the fair and they began negotiations on a site. Now, this wasn't a very smooth process at first because the cost to host a pavilion at the fair was extremely high and the cash-strapped church couldn't decide if the fees were actually worth it. Also, there wasn't a good exhibit site for the church, so it wasn't looking like things were going to work out. But in the end, the stake president over all of New York pressed the church leadership about the larger impact this pavilion could have. And just when the church decided to go all in and eat the cost, they were contacted by the fair. It turns out that the best exhibit site at the fair was just dropped by the World of Food exhibit, which unfortunately had to declare bankruptcy. So bad news for foodies, but good news for the church. They now had their site, but what would they present? Looking for a way to appeal to people of all races, creeds, colors, and nationalities, a member of the Information Services Department of the church would come up with a theme that he'd call Man's Search for Happiness. Members of the church, does that ring a bell to you? This theme delighted church leadership and seemed like a perfect fit. To accompany this theme, the Brigham Young University Motion Picture Studio produced a film titled Man's Search for Happiness, in which the film attempted to answer life's three most important questions. Where we come from, the purpose of life, and what happens to us after we die. In front of the theater where this film would be showed, the church also decided to build a facade for the pavilion that would replicate the three eastern spires of the Salt Lake Temple. The pavilion was filled with colorful exhibits of the life of Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon, and Christ in America. There was a mural of the life of Christ. There were two theaters to show the film and a replica of the Christus statue now found in Temple Square. Over the course of the World Fair, over 6 million people would stop by the pavilion to enjoy the scenery, take in the films, and chat with the young people. Yes, young people. Instead of filling the pavilion with church historians or local leaders, the church decided to use full-time missionaries as the tour guides. Elder Bernard Brockbank, the managing director for the pavilion, would say that, quote, Our missionaries became the most interesting exhibit in the pavilion. Now, how effective were the missionaries and the pavilion on the people during the World's Fair? The church summarized the success this way, quote, While no official statistics were kept on missionary lessons taught or baptisms performed as a direct result of the pavilion, the church reported that during the year previous to the fair, there had been only six conversion baptisms in the area of New York. But, they estimated that there were a thousand baptisms in each of the two years that the fair was open in the succeeding several years, and that there were six to eight hundred baptisms each year after. So church growth really took off. But aside from focusing on the number of converts, the pavilion in the New York World's Fair had a bigger impact, as it formed the prototype of the church's later pavilions and all future visitor centers around the globe. When the fair finally ended, the pieces that made up the pavilion were taken down and used to build a new stake center in New York. The statues, the murals, and displays were used in buildings from New York to Salt Lake City, and the church probably laughed just a little when they were contacted by the Catholic Church, who were interested in buying the golden statue of Moroni that was on top of the recreated Salt Lake Temple front. They figured it was just an angel, 
and they wanted to put it on top of a newly built cathedral in that area. I kind of feel like the church should have just let them buy it and use it. Of course they didn't. Over the course of the fair, nearly a million guests registered referrals for family members or friends that they wanted visited by the missionaries. And over 5 million church tracts and pamphlets were distributed at the pavilion and nearly 100,000 visitors to the pavilion bought a copy of the Book of Mormon. The church found the American social impact that it was looking for. It also set a standard for future visitor centers and ignited missionary work in the eastern United States. All of that, and you didn't have to get the It's a Small World theme song stuck in your head that day. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of History of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 50 Objects, episode 48, The Mormon Pavilion at the New York World's Fair. As always, if you have questions or comments, you can reach out to me directly at joehomc at gmail.com. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it on social media or leave me a quick review on iTunes. It means a lot. Thanks again for listening. 